In 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, God speaks to us in his word. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Savannah. Good morning. My name is Ben. If I haven't met you guys, uh, man, so glad that you're here with us. I've got one quick thing that I want to talk with you about before we jump, jump into the sermon. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. Hey, this is directed at the men in the room. So if any man in the room, if you are a man, uh, I, want, I want to read this verse with you. Here's what 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 says. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I want to read it again. And men, I just want to invite you maybe to read along with me. It just says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I love that little Three little words, act like men, is surrounded with standing firm, being watchful, and then let all that you do be done in love, men. We are at a deficit in the church. We're at a deficit in the world. We're so confused about what it means to be a man. We're confused about what it means to be a woman, both created in God's image for God. Different, but created the same in God co-heirs, men. We need men who follow this verse, who stand firm, who learn what it means to be strong, who act like God created you, act like men, to be strong, to be watchful, to have your eyes open, to have your heart open to the world around you. And more than anything, let all that you do be done in love. My grandpa World War II veteran, Purple Heart in World War II. The dude was like living John Wayne. I'm serious. Everybody in the town respected him. His name was John Wesley Smith. I talk a lot about him from the stage. One of my favorite things, he only watched westerns and hunting shows. So anyway, one of my favorite things about my grandpa was how strong he was. But you know what set him over the edge? He loved Jesus and he cried a lot. Not that you have to cry. It just showed his compassion. He was strong and compassionate. 
How many people in this room believe that we need more men who are both strong, steady, and loving, and compassionate? So men, just perk up, pay attention. We wanna gather all the men from all frontline congregations um, across, in Edmond, Yukon, South, Downtown, and Shawnee on January 6th and 7th. That's Friday night and Saturday morning. We wanna invite you to come to this event. We wanna invite you to invite your friends to come to this event. It's called Masculine Virtue. We have cards that are at the table as you exit, both tables. I'd like for you to at least pick up one of those cards, if not two or three, and invite your friends. Another thing that we're doing is because it's a Friday night, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, I gotta work. Uh, right, we totally get that. Friday night and Saturday morning, we're actually looking at booking a, a hotel, a, a, a block of hotel rooms or an Airbnb. So some of you can afford that, some of you maybe can't. What I need you to do is to email Zach Merrill at the beginning of this week. Make the decision to come and then email Zach, Z Merrill, I think it's up there, there we go, zmerrill at frontlinechurch.com. Let him know that you're gonna make it and then also let him know if you need a hotel room. It'll be, again, Friday morning and, I'm sorry, Friday night and Saturday morning. All right? All right, all right. Well, just flip back one page to 1 Corinthians 15 and I'm gonna pray for you guys and you pray for me as we jump into today's sermon. Yeah, we look to you, Jesus, just thank you that you don't um, leave us out to dry. I thank you that we don't have to conjure up or start faith. And we don't even have to finish our faith. You, Jesus, are the author and perfecter of our faith. So we ask you to stir up faith in us today. Help the word of God become alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58 today. Hey, welcome to uh, Advent season at Frontline Church. This for sure is one of my favorite times of year. It probably is yours too. Church looks amazing. They always do such a great job lighting the candles. It's all really sweet. Uh, for most of us, this season is really great because we look forward. We kind of treat this season as the run-up to Christmas. And we all know what Christmas is about. It's about getting all the stuff that you asked for on your, your Christmas list. Maybe not just that. Uh, Christmas is about Jesus being born, God being born. That's a real thing that really happened. God himself, who was not made, was begotten. Church history, the Bible tells us, he decided to become a human being, which is crazy in itself. We don't know why he would leave total paradise and become and be born. The word incarnation actually means to become flesh. And Advent typically has been just like, man, it's the run-up to Christmas. We're looking at Jesus. We, we sing songs about him. We sing about the silent night, <laughs> away in a manger, peaceful Lord Jesus. Which, by the way, none of that's actually true. There was nothing silent about that night. There were animals all around him acting a fool probably. There were people trying to kill Jesus. I mean, even the fact that he came into that kind of turmoil Proves how humble he is, but why would he do it? Well, that Christmas is for sure looking back and going, okay, the incarnation is real. God cares about us. He came for us. All of Christmas is about Jesus coming to us. But actually, Advent is not just about his first arrival. The word Advent actually means arrival. It means coming, Adventus. That's the root word. It's not just throughout church history. 
It's not just about his first coming. It's also and maybe even primarily about his second coming. Advent means arrival. So throughout the season of Advent, we're going to do something that you probably are not used to at all. We are talking about not just the first coming of Jesus, but also the second coming of Jesus. Because here's why. Every single year, I struggle with reality at this time of year. And you probably do too. The analogy I like to use is probably one that is unique to me. Maybe it's okay for you too, I don't know. But I talk about Christmas like it's a movie. I go to movies to escape reality. I, I have multiple friends. I'm like the only one of my friends that does, they're all like, man, I don't like that movie because it just wasn't realistic. I'm like, amen. I don't need it. I just, aliens, lasers, you know, all of that. Just bring it on, man. It's fun. It's two, two and a half hours of just totally escaping reality. And then you get back into reality once you leave the movie theater. Sometimes I think we treat Christmas like that. Christmas seems so fantastical. It's like we sing songs about these things that if we just were living in reality, it, they would kind of not make sense to us. And I love Christmas songs. I love the pageantry, man. I'm all about it. Gifts, I'm in. Give them to me. Christmas tree, I love all this. I'm always like, can we just do more of, you know, put a train running around? The, I don't know. I love all of that stuff, but it just kind of feels like a movie, doesn't it? And then we, we pray and we light the candle and we talk about peace on earth. We talk about the Prince of Peace. And it's like, do you feel like you have peace on earth? I mean, on the earth. Peace? Goodwill towards men? What is that? Is there goodwill towards men? Two songs that we sing a lot. I'm going to read verses from them. We just sing them. It's, for us, it's like a movie. It, is it real? I mean... No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Do you feel like that happened? Do you feel like Jesus being born and now all of a sudden there's no more curse? No more let sins and sorrows grow. It's like, okay, I'm singing that, man. I love that song, Joy to the World. I love it. I'm singing it. But I, let me just live in reality for a minute. There's sins. There's sorrows. They abound now as much as they ever have. How about this one? <laughs> Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. No more death. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them a second birth. What does that mean? That's from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If this is written about angels singing, it seems like they know something that we don't. Born that man no more may die. How's that working out? Look, I know you came probably for Christmas time. But I just want to invite you to face reality. Don't treat Christmas like a movie. There is a fact, it is real, what I'm about to tell you. You will die. You will. That comes for everybody. That's a fact. What does this mean? 
What does this season, what does my life mean for that fact when I have to face it, what comes after that reality? Like, I, do we think about eternity? Do we think about what happens after we die or when we die? That's why in this Advent, man, we feel like it's so important to realize there will be a day when Jesus returns fully to heal up a broken earth, to restore us when we finally can say death is swallowed up in victory. Darkness is still everywhere. I'm singing blessings flow far as the curse is found and born that no man may die. Do you know that that first song, Joy of the World, was literally written about the second coming, mostly? Hark the herald angels sing. I mean, these are about Jesus coming, returning, coming once and his first arrival and then coming again. It does us no good to treat reality like a movie. we got to face it and find our true hope. Last week, we talked about Christ's return. Next week, we'll talk about the final judgment. And the week after that, we'll talk about the new heavens and the new earth. And today, we're going to talk about what happens to our bodies when Jesus returns. It's actually really important for how we live now. We'll talk about the resurrection of the body. So I'm gonna start with this. We have to start with the source, the one who lived perfectly, who followed God totally, who gave his life up. We need to look at the life of Jesus. So here's the part, if you take notes, I'm gonna jump around the Bible a little bit today. We're gonna be anchored in 1 Corinthians 15. If you take notes, you'll start here. The first thing that you have to see about the one who lived completely, totally, holistically following God, he is our example of a true man, a true Christian man. Him, Jesus, he hated death. He still hates death. Death was not cute. Funerals were not cute for him. Jesus had an attitude towards death that showed his hatred. And we need to go to a powerful story found in the Gospel of John to really get our hearts and minds wrapped around just what death did to Jesus emotionally. Jesus had many friends, many close friends on earth, disciples of course, but then he had some that maybe were more like family than others. He had his true family, um, which was his disciples, and he had his earth family, his blood family, which was, would have been his mom, James, his brother. But then he had friends that were like family, which a lot of you guys can sort of, um, uh, you can understand in your life. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were true family to him. Lazarus, a true brother. And Lazarus is approaching death. He becomes unexpectedly ill while Jesus is away. So the word comes to Jesus. And this story, I think, is gonna help us understand what Jesus thought about death. So here's what happened. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill, which lets you know right off the bat. You don't need his name. It's the one that you love the most. Jesus said, okay, Lazarus. <laughs> But when Jesus heard it, he said that this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, that's great, Jesus, but what do you mean? Lazarus did die. He died. Did Jesus just guess wrong? Did he finally make a mistake? Did he just finally wasn't able to see past his nose and have prophetic insight? By the time Jesus gets to him, as a matter of fact, he had been dead and in the tomb for four whole days. Did he misinterpret the situation? Let's read on. Martha said to Jesus, same question that we're asking, Lord, if you had been there, 
My brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? What a profound moment. Jesus always has the answer to the questions that we need to be asking, but we undoubtedly never ask. He always gives this the best answer, the one that we need the most, but because we're so impulsive, because we're looking down at our hands all the time, we can't actually see past the moment we're in. They said, if you had been here, he would not have died. And Jesus basically says, you're not seeing past this moment. Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Move on. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, Martha's already said this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, everybody loved Lazarus, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved and greatly troubled. You know what that word deeply moved means? Original language, Greek language. It means this, to be moved with anger and this word called indignation. Jesus was angry. When the reality of death hit Jesus, he becomes angry. Indignation, that's a word that we don't have anymore because it explains a type of anger That means I am beside myself with anger. Was he just angry? Was he just sad in the moment? No way. He's angry at something that happened that was never designed to happen. And that is an intruder that has entered into the human life. Death. He's looking at his friends. He's thinking about Lazarus. He's looking at the reality that everyone will die. And all of a sudden, Jesus is angry. He hates death. Death doesn't belong. Death is a tyrant. Jesus, who created the heavens and the earth, created life, created the salvation story with the Father and the Spirit, is now face to face in his humanness with the reality of what he came for. I imagine Jesus, the Bible says he set his face like flint towards the cross. Christmas is more, listen to me, Christmas is more than just a sweet baby in a manger. Jesus did not come so that we can just celebrate that. He came to cheat death. He came to put death on notice and to end it once and for all. Death is the tyrant. He's deeply moved, greatly troubled. This is followed by one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and if you ever did Bible drill or anything like that, I'd be able to ask you, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? And you would be able to say, Jesus, there we go. That's more than I bargained, I thought about, man. Jesus wept. This is not just the shortest verse in the Bible. This word, wept, is different than just crying. I mean, I love this. You know why? 
Because Jesus is angry. He's strong. He's 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He's strong, steady. But he's also acting in compassion. He's thinking about the reality of death and the fact that it's happened to his friend. And he weeps, groaning. This is bent over. This is can't pull it together. This is Jesus, sad, compassion, strong, angry. At the same time, he hates death. He hates that it exists. He hates that it's happened to his friend Lazarus. He, ha- he hates that it's coming for all of us. He hates that he has to go die. Although nothing moved him from that moment, there was nothing about his life that was ever gonna shake off the fact that he was coming to die. He's compassionate towards all of us. Jesus, in this moment, is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But here's what's strange. He knows full well that Lazarus will die again. It might be a year down the road. He's gonna raise Lazarus up And Lazarus is going to die again. (laughs) I mean, that's why he said, I'm doing this to show you about the glory of God. I don't, if I'm Lazarus, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I already died from a sickness once. I don't know how I'm going to die again, but this is great and all, but I cannot, can we just not, can we leave well enough alone? He's doing it to show his glory. Jesus came, if he came, to merely perform miracles on earth, then his first advent would have been in vain. He has an even bigger, more important and eternal destiny, and that's to raise us up a second time into eternal life. Let's read on. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. Let him go. I love this. Jesus stares into the tomb and he says what he's going to say to everybody that's in Christ. Turn him loose. Death. Unbound her. Death. Take the chains off her hands. Bring her to me. Let her go. If you are in Christ today, if you have trusted Jesus today, this will be reality for you. Though you die once, that will happen. That'll be the only time that you die. Eternally, you will have life. Eternally, the chains will be loosed. You'll be in life forever with Jesus. Death had him bound for a minute, but Jesus has the power and compassion to loosen the chains of death and declare, let him go. Jesus hates death. He came to deal with it. We never could. Didn't matter how we lived. Didn't matter how great you were. All the Old Testament prophets, all the New Testament, all the saints that were way holier than anybody in this room times 10, they still couldn't cheat death. They still had to face the reality that even one sin is enough 
to keep you out of the presence of a completely holy God. Something had to be done. God himself had to come, and he did. Jesus hates death. It's not how things were designed. It was never supposed to be this way. The second thing I want you to see is this. It's the truth, man. Because of Jesus, death does not have the final word over us. So back to 1 Corinthians 15. Words are on the screen. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, sleep meaning death, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, that's Jesus, and the mortal puts on immortality, Jesus, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This, again, is a fact. It is a fact for those who are in in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't matter if you feel it today. It doesn't matter what kind of season of life you're in. If you have trusted Jesus, there are two things that are true. One, nothing can take you out of God's hand. Nothing. The Bible says not even death can separate us from the love of God. Two, he will come again. You will die one time. That's it. Forever you will have life. If you're not in Christ, there's also the reality that we face. Without Christ, there's an eternal death. It's a forever death. You know why? Because Jesus alone is life. We will, in fact, us in Christ, be raised with a new glorified body. How? It's because of the work of Jesus. Because of Jesus, death does not have the final word over us. Jesus is actually forever our sacrifice. I love this story in the Bible. There's Lazarus, and there's also Jesus was... Uh, he lived his life perfect, sinless, and then he was brutally murdered. I mean, it was like, it's not cute. The, cr- the cross is, is not a cute story, man. It's not a cute thing. It's not a cute relic. I, I love that we wear them. I think it reminds us, but it should remind us of just how brutal the cross was. It was a Roman torture device. I mean, it just, we don't have anything that compares to it now. And God became flesh, was born, not in a silent night, but with just craziness, chaos. And throughout his whole life, you know, he was pursued Uh, to be killed. That's why he came. And he was brutally murdered on a cross. And after living perfectly, the Bible says that God raised him up and seated him in heavenly places. And now he has a name that is above every name. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Well, Jesus was raised after being dead for a couple days. On the third day, he rose again. God raised him up. Stone was rolled away. And then he starts to walk down this road. Two disciples are walking down the road and they're talking with Jesus and they're mourning. And Jesus says, why are you mourning? And they said, are you the only person that doesn't know what's happened here today? Jesus died. They're talking to glorified body Jesus, by the way. They don't recognize him. Then Jesus starts to teach them all things concerning the scriptures in himself. It's like the greatest Sunday school class of all time, you know? 
And then their eyes were open. And I love this story because even though Jesus had appeared, even though it was obvious, he was like moving through walls and it was so obvious that Jesus was like still human in some not natural way, but still fully human. Because of this story, Thomas was a disciple who had doubted and doubted that Jesus was raised. Jesus comes to Thomas and here's what happens. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas, the doubter, was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus, the same one who walked on the ground, just all of a sudden just passes through. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, to his hands that were still human hands, put your fingers here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is our forever sacrificial lamb. In the flesh, glorified body, still nail scars, still a scar on his side where he was pierced. Revelation 5 It says he goes before the council of elders in heaven. They're looking around. Who can can open this book? Who can open the book of life, the scroll? They say, okay. John says nobody can open it. An elder comes to him and says there is one, a lamb who was sacrificed, the sacrificial lamb. He can open the scroll. And Jesus does. He said, I saw him. He was a lamb who was slain. Open the scroll. That's in Revelation. That's Jesus glorified. And then later when Jesus is coming back in Revelation 19, Jesus is on a white horse, sword drawn. The Bible says his eyes are flames. This is King Jesus now. He came humble the first time. He's coming in majesty the second time. It describes him in splendor and wonder, and it says his robe was dipped in blood. Do you understand what I'm telling you? He is forever. He didn't just come and say, okay, I've got 33 years. It's going to be a breeze. Life is a vapor. I'm going to go and do this thing, and then I'm going to be back to normal. Jesus chose to come and now is a forever sacrificial lamb. Blood stained, slain, nails in hands, scars from his side where they pierced him. It's his identity. It's who he is. There's nobody like Jesus. Who does that? Who does that? Who who gives up all of that for an eternal identity change? Who? There's nobody like him. He's forever the sacrificial lamb. risen from the dead. His nail-pierced hands are signs of his true lordship. Jesus is our forever sacrifice. He's also our forever king. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Words are on the screen. This is Paul again, same writer of 1 Corinthians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, who are dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus 
died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We tried to make this too simplistic, mathematical. And when we do that, we start to get a little crazy literal. It is literal. I'm about to explain it. But movies about some kind of rapture, some kind of thing. We're going to be sucked off the planet. And, and that's not what this is about at all. What this is about is Paul trying to get in their head and in their heart. He is describing a Roman military processional. Roman king, a ruler, or governor would go off to war, off to battle. And if they won, they would come back and the trumpet would sound and it would let the whole town know the king is coming. He has won, the victory is his. And then the whole town, out of excitement because the trumpet said, victory, it's done. He's done it. It worked. The king went off, he fought, and the armies of God, the armies of the king, won the battle. So the town, if they hear that trumpet, the town, the king's people, run out to meet the king. And you know what they would do? With proclamations, celebrations, dancing. It was a parade. They would go meet him and then they would go before him and lead him back into his town. This is about Jesus coming again. Actually, part of this parade was they would have spoils of victory. Those that they defeated would be behind them. Jesus trampling over death, returning as the king, us going to meet him, ushering his kingdom in. New heavens and new earth. Paul's saying, triumphant, when the trumpet sounds, it's the best news in the world. It's the best news in the world. It means it's done forever. Death, where is your victory? Swallowed up in victory. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, man. Death's coming. Christ is coming back. If you're in him, the trumpet will sound. You will be raised life eternal. What does it mean for my life now? You might be asking, what does it mean for my stress now? I got Christmas lists to buy. I got, <laughs> I've got a little bit of money, a long list. I feel it. What does it mean for the state of the world now? What does it mean for how we live now? I mean, that's good and all, but listen, for all of us, the Christian, 
What Christ has done has happened. That's a fact. What he will do, those two things, we're living in the reality of Christ having come, the first advent, the first arrival, but also the not yet of him coming back. So we live in this tension as the people of God. And it should greatly inform the way that we live. Paul tells us like this, the very next verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Several times Paul says, God has done these things for you. You know what you do now? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So Christian, listen to me. Here's what you do. Get to work. Get to work. Galatians 6, don't grow weary of doing good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. For in due season you will reap if you don't give up. Get to work. Follow Jesus. Surrender your whole life. Surrender your life. The Bible says that that life is like a vapor. It's here one day and gone the next. It's just a wisp of smoke. In eternity, we've got, if we keep our minds set on eternity, it changes the way that you treat the person sitting next to you. It changes the way that you are as a married person, as a dad, as a mom, as a boyfriend, girlfriend, a friend. It changes the way that you view church. It changes the way that you view your life or your paycheck or your job. Now all of a sudden, my job is my mission field. Now all of a sudden, my kids are as well. Now I run to prayer because of my perspective has changed. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Knowing Jesus has purchased you and will come again to claim you, it changes our reality. Surrender to him. Remember the future. There's hope in it for you if you're in Christ. Let's stand together.